Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. This is Lori Forner. Now, just similar to pretending that 2020 never really happened for me, and I think a lot of people can understand and feel the same way, but now I'm going to pretend that 2022 just started. So Happy New Year, everyone. Um, I have definitely learned to take each day as it is and to be resilient to the constant changes and be okay with the podcast content being delivered when I can make it happen. So on to this episode, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking to Emma Brockwell again. Of course, we recorded today's episode back in October 2021, but it's finally here. Emma has been on this podcast in the past, along with Grainne Donnelly and Tom Goom, discussing the return to running guidelines for postnatal women. Check the show notes and listen to that podcast if you haven't already. Emma is here not just as a clinician, she's actually going to share a personal story of hers as a patient who was experiencing symptoms she couldn't quite pin down, the struggle with getting a proper diagnosis, and ultimately understanding that she was going through perimenopause much earlier than anticipated. She shares the evidence around management and what she found worked for her. Oh, and this stressful time for her. She also wrote a book at the same time and it's called Why Did No One Tell Me and it's about pelvic floor dysfunction and I asked her to just give us a little bit more information on it. For those of you who don't know, Emma's one of the founding members of the collaborative campaign group Pelvic Roar. She's also this on the scientific clinical advisory board of the Active Pregnancy Foundation and the Perinatal Physical Activity Research Group. She's a pelvic health physiotherapist, a passionate runner, and educator of pelvic health, also grabbing the mic with Grainne Donnelly on their podcast called At Your Cervix, which aims to bust taboos and open conversation around pelvic health. I hope you enjoy our chat and all the links for the things that we talk about and to find Emma are all in the show notes. Enjoy, everyone. Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Forner, a physiotherapist working in pelvic health, as well as a new student researcher on the fun, long road to a PhD, where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I'm here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport, Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. So take me back to when all of this started. Yeah, I would say 2019 from, from my own health perspective was, was, was pretty good. Um, I was exhausted because I my children were so little at that point and you know how it is work it's crazy and I think most pelvic health physios end up trying to do everything and be wear different hats all the time and we put ourselves under loads of pressure so I've always been someone that's probably been a little anxious um someone that's always been 
quite self-critical and um and so in 2019 I would say that that was that was the normal me um always someone who suffered from premenstrual syndrome a little bit as well uh my poor husband is all, is all I can say about that and then I would say around about January 2020 things started to change for me and it's funny isn't it because on reflection I look back and I think why didn't I pick this up sooner um, and relate it more to my period or my menstrual cycle but honestly I had just started to write the book um, I had taken on a new clinic I just was starting to enter a different stage of life because the kids were going to school so I took on more work which on reflection was a stupid thing because you think when kids go to school that you're going to have loads more time nine and three it turns out are like a magical time when time goes really fast <laughs> I know it speeds up not fair and so it's a really short period of time but I thought it's okay I'll take on another clinic all will be well um, and I'll accept this amazing offer of um, writing a book that was given to me and it's fine because I've got nine to three every day and I'm bound to fit everything in um, and it turns out I was struggling so I was feeling a lot more anxious um, but but you can relate it all back to taking on too much too much work and two um, months later a pandemic broke out right that was the confusing part for me because we were homeschooling and I was trying to write the book. My husband was amazing. He decided to take on a lot more of the, the family life, if you like, to help me out with the book. Um, but I was just going through lots of periods of, of, of time where I'd be really high and then really low and really anxious and questioning myself. But perhaps a little bit of an imposter syndrome going on as well but I just didn't I didn't really know I just didn't feel right and I didn't think about looking at my cycle which on reflection was starting to become irregular um, but then going back to normal and that's the problem with with um, the menstrual cycle I guess is that those those changes can be really really subtle and they were really subtle um, so I just thought you know what given that there's a pandemic given that there's so much going on in my life I've probably got a little bit of depression um, or, or low mood and I'm going to go to the doctor and or speak to them on the phone because the pandemic I couldn't go and see them um, and I spoke to them on the phone and I discussed my symptoms which were predominantly around mood and anger um, anger when I was due my period but I put that down to stress and um, and they said oh we know the answer you are suffering with low mood um, go and do an online CBT course and um, that was kind of the solution if you like my feeling is when you're depressed you're you're constantly feeling low every day every day is a low day but that just wasn't that wasn't me some days I was perfectly fine and the, there were a few days where I was feeling low but generally um I was I, I was pretty normal so I knew that it I, I knew it wasn't probably low mood or depression or anxiety um so I went back to the doctor again two months later and I said look I I, I don't think it is low mood I don't think it is anxiety I think there's something more to this I think it could be related to my periods I wonder if it's perimenopause but at the time I was 41 and um, I was told outright 
can't be a, can't be the men, perimenopause because you're only 41 you're too young to be going through the perimenopause and at that point I knew having done my reading that it probably was a perimenopause so um decided to take more of a proactive approach um exploring more which we can perhaps talk about of the of the more holistic approach to to managing my symptoms um and sadly those holistic approaches weren't enough so I ended up taking the private route of exploring how I manage perimenopausal symptoms. I don't know if different countries call it different things but when you say perimenopause what is that as opposed to when we say you've gone through menopause? Yeah so perimenopause is when your hormone or hormonal cycle starts to change and often you'll see changes in your cycle so perhaps your cycle will become a little more irregular or sometimes you'll have heavier periods sometimes you'll have lighter periods um sometimes you'll become symptomatic so in my case um my moods were very up and down um i was anxious or more anxious i um, was having night sweats um and joint aches um and just terrible terrible breast tenderness um I actually thought I had oh I had I was tested for breast cancer actually because I my breasts became a lot lumpier and just incredibly painful so that that's not they're not the only symptoms but they're the symptoms that particularly affected me and so the perimenopause can last anywhere up to 10 years ordinarily it starts at around about the age of 45 but for me around about the age of 41 and about one in 20 of us start the perimenopause from around about the age of 40. Um, There are some women who are younger um, who do go through the early menopause um, and they would be women who are below 40 Um, but ordinarily women who have that go through the perimenopause are around about 45 and you aren't considered menopausal until you haven't had a period for a year Um, and the menopause is just a day it's just that day that anniversary of not having had a period for a year and then once that day's uh, been and gone you are then post-menopausal so so there's various stages in a woman's life cycle and and perimenopause can be a year for some women it can be 10 years for some women I'm hoping it will be a few years for me um <laughs> but, but <laughs> so when you talk about some of the symptoms that you experienced or people talk about hot flashes or hot flushes is that part of the transition with perimenopause and not part of menopause but you can still experience hot flushes mm. and night sweats and symptoms postmenopausally as well after that day of not having periods but but less so and that's the big thing you don't want to wait until you've had gone through the menopause not had periods for a year until you get treatment in my opinion you should be seeking treatment from the time that you start noticing these changes the problem with these changes is they can be you know they can mirror other other problems like clinical depression and I think a lot of women go through that process of going back and forth to the doctor I've got low mood I don't feel great I feel rubbish about myself Um, and and it's just I'm not saying it's the easy option to diagnose someone with depression but I think it's the go-to with a lot of GPs who aren't necessarily specialists in this area and in the UK, there's not that many specialists um, in, in menopause or perimenopause. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but it's, it's not like that here. 
Like I'd heard once you were 35 is when everything starts to change. And now I'm 43. Um, that, you know, things definitely change, but that's when you go, when you said all those, even some of the symptoms that you're mentioning, you're like, well, I feel like that every month. Or when you have a marina and you don't get your periods, how do you know when your last period is? And you can go through different stages with different symptoms. Um, and you look at the list and you're like, well, yeah, I feel that. And I feel that. So then how do you work out that that was what was happening and it wasn't just some cycle irregularity or... Yeah, that's the complexity of, of, of it is how do you work it out? Because actually what they suggest potentially between the ages of 40 to 45, according to um, the NICE guidelines, which we have in the UK for the menopause, is that you can have FSH testing, but it's not that accurate. And FSH testing is testing the follicle-stimulating uh, follicle hormone. Um, so fluxes in that can give you a good indication as to whether or not you are potentially perimenopausal. I had those testings and nothing was coming up um, in those tests. So then you have to be symptom-led, really, as opposed to um, relying on the test so much. And so it's not, oh, it's not sufficient enough for the GP to say, right, well, we've done a hormonal test and it's... The FS, your FSH is normal, um, so you can't be perimenopausal. And I would say if you're experiencing the symptoms as I was and noticing irregularities in my periods and I was 41, I would say go down more of a specialist route if you want to explore this, um, this more. I would definitely say, however, if you're under the age of 40, you should, should absolutely be having the FSH test um, and they would test you and then they should test you four to six weeks later after that test to to give you an accurate diagnosis. But even then, if you're going through the early menopause and you're experiencing the symptoms that, that we've mentioned and you potentially are aware that you have a family history of the early menopause, then you really should be going down more of a specialist route to get to get some more specialist help. Because like everything with particularly with pelvic health, we do need those specialisms to help us. Um, and it shouldn't all be on the GPs, um, but it's really helpful if the GPs can signpost you to the specialist. And that's that's what I felt lacked in my care I wasn't signposted to anyone I was just told well we're in a pandemic you've you're overdoing it with work you're maybe burnt out or you're just maybe low in mood have some antidepressants or try a CBT course and I think as women we know our bodies well enough to know if that's not a sufficient enough answer and you are a women's health physio and a clinician so and just like you said, you mentioned the NICE guidelines. So you did some research as well. So what does the NICE guidelines or anything that you've looked at, what is the advice with regards to treatment options? And then what did you find most helpful? So the, um, the guidance actually for the menopause, um, according to NICE, is for, for a few months, diarize your symptoms okay so um that's go armed with knowledge when you see the doctor um so what i did is i got my um we in the uk we have something called the balance app um and that's been designed by an amazing menopausal specialist dr louise newson who just knows everything about the menopause um and wrote a fabulous book this here 
record um preparing for the menopause uh, perimenopause and menopause and it's just come out on penguin um and it's a really nice little book um user friendly to really give you a good idea of what to expect during the perimenopause how to manage it and the, and the menopause um so go armed with some knowledge by reading a book user friendly book like that but go armed with some idea of your symptoms so every month Every day I was logging my symptoms as to how I felt, what my periods were doing, so that then I could, I guess, make a case for what, what I felt was occurring. Um, and then according to the guidelines, the treatment, once you've both agreed um, collectively as a team with your, with your healthcare professional, um, is a variety of holistic treatment or uh, more of the medicalised route, HRT essentially so if you're thinking more holistically you might want to try and tackle some of your symptoms uh, by addressing your nutrition uh, by addressing your exercise or by considering something like mindfulness um, relaxation techniques all these all of these things are certainly going to help balance the very you know the the changing symptoms that that that, that you're getting because of these changing hormones um, and for some women by addressing the or taking the holistic approach that certainly manages their symptoms beautifully for me that just wasn't enough I I tried all of those options I tried going to bed earlier I tried a lot of these options but it just wasn't enough so I decided to go down the route of HRT um, and HRT for me that was on offer was the option of using Estragel, um, which is just a, a gel, three pumps um, that I use a day and um, some progesterone, which I have to use for two weeks every month, whereas estrogen I use every day. Um, and I've been taking it now for six months, I think. And over that six months, I've had to vary it quite a lot. So you have to you have to really listen to your body, di keep diarising your symptoms. Um, at one stage, I was taking five pumps of estrogen, which was too much. Um, but but I've got that balance now. And and for me at the moment, that's working. Um, and I've had reviews every three months with the doctor to check that that that's the right medication for for me. Has it changed like? the way that you've approached any of your patients or your thought processes, like thought processes around what you might ask people or what you will do with the population of women that you treat? Yeah, so I definitely screen more thoroughly for um, symptoms around the menstrual cycle um, that perhaps I hadn't really considered sufficiently I would say um, I also feel much much more confident about signposting women to the to the specialists also keep much more of an open mind when it comes to age because if I'm really honest I probably used to keep my perimenopausal um, diagnoses to the 45 year and upwards uh, population that I would see and now I I, I certainly make women even from the age of 35, aware of the perimenopause and what, what we can do to prepare for it. Because it's a bit like having a baby. Unless you're told these, um, of these symptoms, like pelvic floor dysfunction, 
why on earth are we meant to know about them? So it's, it's just about education. And actually, it's really not dissimilar to what we do with our postnatal population or, or pregnancy population. We should be educating women from a much earlier, earlier age about these symptoms. And, and then they're aware of them and then they can become proactive and manage them. And then life's a lot less scary, isn't it? Because that's one thing that I will say I got very scared about the symptoms I was having and one big thing I forgot to mention is I was having severe brain fog so I'd be looking at you and I think I know your name I can tell you so much about you but I can't remember what your name is and and that's maddening and that's really quite nerve-wracking especially in a clinical environment where you're trying to tell someone what the pelvic floor is and you can't think of what the pelvic floor is called um and and that's also it also gives you this feeling like have I got dementia? Am I going through an early onset dementia? And that was one of the biggest um, triggers for me to get this sorted because I felt like I was losing my mind. You can see how it would have just been construed as stress. Like you said, with everything that was going on in the middle of a pandemic and being busy in the job and the book and... It really made sense. And and actually, do you know what? I was more comfortable with that in some ways. I wanted it to be stress and I wanted it to be maybe burnout. I felt quite embarrassed that I was going through these changes and I felt massively let down by my body, massively. I just thought, hang on a minute, I'm 41. And and what if I, you know, still want to have children? I don't. And I probably still could, but, you know, just because I'm still having periods. That's one thing. Just because you're going through the perimenopause doesn't mean you can't have children still. Um, But you suddenly start thinking all your options are, are, are going it's frightening it's frightening getting older and there's this stereotype of a menopausal woman you know being old and haggard and best the best before date has gone as it were and it's entirely not the case Um, I just want to reiterate that but that's kind of how I felt about going through the perimenopause but remember when we were little like 25 was so old right and then you hit that age and oh I don't remember thinking about anything else any future at 25 I was just in the moment and then in your 30s you know the age that you thought was old and your views about what you might be like at that age just constantly is shifting the older you get I remember thinking how old 50 or 60 was and now my parents are turning 80 and I'm like but they don't look that old they're not that different so um I know what you say like you don't you know you don't want to offend people about (laughs) what you think but I think everyone ends up going through that and also like you said in the transition period is a really it's uncomfortable and it's scary um and it's awkward because mm-hmm. again, we're we're not we're supposed to just stay this age forever, right? It would just be the dream. Yeah. But I think I think there's so much pressure put on women to be this this certain way. And you know, at 41 you shouldn't be this, you should be that. And and there's such a lack of education. I mean, goodness, we talk about it all the time around pelvic health and and women's health and everything we end up discussing around um, our topic is always so taboo and actually if we educated girls from a young age that we were going to go through we're going to go through the menopause at some stage and what it actually means it's just destigmatizing it and at the moment certainly for my generation I don't think there's I think there's so much taboo around the perimenopause and the menopause um, 
and I, again in the UK there's going to be a drive now to change the topics in schools make sure there's much more emphasis on pelvic health and there has to be because by talking about it it just makes that conversation so much more comfortable when you finally hit those ages and so much less scary it's otherwise it's a very frightening lonely place and I have to say this time last year I felt very alone very nervous and actually felt like I just wasn't the same person and that's rubbish and that's coming from someone who's in the profession and probably should have been a lot more or felt I should have been a lot more aware of the changes that were happening. Well, look, and that's why I wanted to do this podcast was so that people could hear your story. And this is one of the things I think visual social media is really helpful for is now more and more people, especially young people, um, are able to see, you know, people going through perimenopause or going through menopause and not having to have that golden girls vision in your mind um, about what somebody looks like once they've gone through menopause. No, I hope so. And there's some, I mean, in the UK, there's some amazing role models. We've got, I don't know if you know, Davina McCall or we've got some really big celebs who are really jumping on the menopause bandwagon and saying, look, yeah, I've been through it. I'm going through it. This is how I've managed it. And actually, I think those celebrities have probably really helped change the the landscape alongside Louise Neeson. Again, you might not be familiar with her, but um, these these she's you know, she's been a pioneer in changing the narrative around all of this. So are you going to write another book? Because you have one now called why did no one tell me so and that was what pregnancy and postnatal and now part two is perimenopause well, I, right or part two could be why did no one tell me not to write a book <laughs> that could <laughs> be part like, three or oh. part two and then part three so <laughs> yeah. so good segue into yeah. the book that i have not read yet but i'm really looking forward to it um so because you, you, you know, you mentioned when all of this started, you had been asked to write a book. So tell me about the book. And just, you know, she's not paying me to do this. I just am really interested. Yeah. Oh, you were just very kind. Um, do you know, the book was pure luck that I got offered it because I do a little bit on social media and there is a very active um, editor, commissioning editor that scours social media and probably saw a few posts and I offered me the opportunity to write a book for women about what they should expect during and after pregnancy in terms of their bodily changes Um, and she wanted it around pelvic health because she'd had um, some issues with her pelvic health it's not rocket science it's just really telling women what they should be expecting to happen during and after pregnancy and and how to manage those symptoms if they do occur because I just feel that as pelvic health physios we don't have a strong enough voice um we all know how great we are um and and how much we can offer women but I sometimes feel that we get lost lost in 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 the conversation so having opportunities like this to talk to someone like you is really important because I can um, I can do a little bit of promo around, uh, oh, around definitely. it. Definitely. So it is for patients, right? Like it's not a 
Although, look, every book I think I've ever recommended to a patient, I have quite enjoyed and have always learned something from as well. But the target population for this was females, right? Target population is females and clinicians who work with women but have no specialism in pelvic health and fitness professionals. Um, but predominantly women and I hope my only worry around the book is that I hope it hasn't scared women into having babies. But the majority of the feedback has been really positive and I think quite empowering because, you know, when you understand the changes that can occur, you can um, it gives you control. And and that's that's all it's done is say to someone, look, if you're leaking urine. It's not it's common but it's not normal and guess what there's treatment for it don't accept it as part of your norm a bit like with the perimenopause really don't accept some of these changes as your norm have the confidence to um, ask for signposting to the right professionals so what is next what are you going to do now other than enjoy your family and keep working the future for me is time with my family clinical work and um I might be doing a little course on the female athlete um, with Gronya Donnelly and um, Helen McElroy, who's an uh, amazing sports MSK physio. Um, and do you know what? Just a bit of time just to enjoy life because I love work. I'm very passionate about it, but I kind of feel that a lot of my um, world has been consumed by work. And my kids are at a really nice age at the moment. They're six and eight. So I just want to enjoy them and and keep banging the drum, of course, with pelvic health as best as I can. Um, that's it, really. Nothing very exciting. I sound very boring. Oh, my God, you do not. Look, I am so happy that you shared your time because I know you're in the middle of doing telehealth and seeing patients and, again, trying to have time for your family and 4,000 things that I think moms do. So I really appreciate you coming just to share your story and to talk about your book and Again, I'm going to put the links out there and we'll keep attempting to get to the, what was it, 25,000? Is that our goal? Yeah. <laughs> Ours because it's mine now. <laughs> yep, you can take the goal as well. Well, no, thank we'll you because this goal. is actually one of my favourite podcasts of all times, as I was telling you, so you don't edit this bit out, you have to keep this bit in. Oh, um, you are lovely. Oh, wait, oh, sorry, totally don't bring me into this, but you have a podcast too and we didn't even mention oh. that. Can you tell me, just quickly tell me about At Your Cervix podcast, because I listened to that one too. It's a little podcast that I do with Gronya Donnelly, and it's opening a conversation around pelvic health, trying to break some of the stigmas and taboos. It's, it's more aimed at women and those who aren't necessarily specialists in the area. You can listen as well, of course, if you're a specialist in the area. Um, but it's just opening up the conversations around all of the amazing things we see every day um and trying to just bust the myths and you know destigmatize um all of these all of these different subjects thanks for listening everyone i hope you enjoyed it as much as i loved talking to emma and listening to her story thank you for all of your support for those who have been listening for years to all of the patrons who are current who have ever in the past helped keep this podcast running I really, really appreciate it. Take care, everyone.